This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 62 of the Rebel Author Podcast. This week, I'm talking to Mike Reeves Macmillan, and we'll be discussing tips and tricks to help you polish up your book and create a well-presented professional manuscript. But first, to last week's question. Last week, I asked, what do you do to help you get into the right mindset? Victoria L.K. Williams said, another great episode. Thank you very much. Uh, she continued to say, how do I get ready to write and get in the zone? Well, it seems so It seems so simple, but it works. I open the app, either Scrivener or more often Dragon Anywhere, because I also run a business from the same computer slash office. I turn these apps off when I'm done and I don't open them unless I'm writing. Cleaning off the desk of uh, all business stuff also is a big help. I use the Dragon app because I write when I find the time between appointments, lunch or late at night, and my phone is always right there. Of comments on Instagram this week, so thank you very much to everybody who um, replied. Uh, I will be putting the question of the week up on Instagram every week, so if you would like to uh, reply to me on Instagram, then you can find me at Sasha Black Author. Uh, so Angeline and the world said, um, I drink coffee, which I loved because so do I. <laughs> uh, Caitlin Duncan said she listens to music. Uh, and then at uh, Racia underscore Cabot said, uh, I go and see my super complicated board to feel proud of myself for all my ideas. Uh, Shaharazad said, I love listening to related music. I have a separate playlist for my whip filled with soundtracks. Um, Ados Ofran said, I go for walks safely, of course, uh, and it helps to empty my mind to write. Uh, Janelle said, I don't look at my phone until I've done my writing in the morning. Real Jack Adams said, take five just to relax. DJ Pingle said, turn on a music playlist with a cup of hot chocolate. I love the addition of hot chocolate. Um, I do love a cheeky hot chocolate. Although I don't know if these are worldwide, but there is a um, Cadbury's uh, bar of chocolate called Twirl. And at the moment in the UK, they're doing orange twirls. And somebody had the bright idea of creating a hot chocolate with this orange twirl. Uh, somebody being my wife. <laughs> and it was delicious but also none of us could finish it because it was that sweet and I have the sweetest tooth of anyone I've ever met so I was amazed I couldn't finish it um and finally uh, Jay uh, at the resourceful writer said I have a special pair of glasses that I wear only when I write I pretend they make me smarter and that made me giggle oh sorry one one last one RL Davenol said uh, silence my phone and toss it somewhere I can't reach which I think is brilliant because um the amount of notifications that I get as well I, I completely agree that that is a great move to make I actually rather than tossing it somewhere I put it on to do not disturb mode just in case the school or you know emergency phone calls come through I always get a bit antsy because uh, I have a six almost seven year old now uh, in fact it, by the time this airs he will be seven um but yes anyway so <laughs> random talking. What are you talking about? Shut up, Sasha. Get on with the show. Anyway, moving on.
Right, moving swiftly onwards then, the question of the week this week is, what do you care about most in a book? Story, characters, presentation, or something else entirely? Recommendation of the week this week is, Dear Writer, Are You In Writer's Block? by Becca Syme. Now, this was a fascinating read because there's often a lot of discussion in the community around whether or not writer's block really exists. And there's the old adage of, oh, well, plumbers um, can't get plumbers block. But Becca addresses this and she says something really interesting, which really hooked me into the book. And that's that uh, you cannot compare plumbers to writers because plumbers do a procedural job, like they have a set of procedures and sequence of um, uh, tasks that they have to do in order to fix a problem that they've been trained on, whereas writers are creating from nothing. And those are completely different uh, areas of the brain, very, very different jobs. And I thought that was very interesting. Nobody had ever said that to me. And um, I have to say that I have been converted and I definitely think writer's block does exist. However, she is very clear that, um, you know, there are usually a plethora of reasons that she goes into as to why writer's block is existing and what you can do about it. And I was very interested in the what you can do about it because um, I don't really... <laughs> like to not be writing <laughs> you know what I'm like I like to always be working on things so yeah I found it very interesting I am like binge reading my way through all of her books I'm on I'm reading now and um, dear writer you're in burnout and then I only have one left which is the dear writer you're doing it wrong so I'm sure I'll read that over Christmas I do have a copy um already so yeah I I am deeply fascinated with the strengths um system that uh, Becca uses to teach in coach in her courses and I loved her course and it's made a huge difference I'm sure I'll talk in fact maybe I'll talk about that a bit more in my personal update uh, which is now so maybe I'll just carry on talking <laughs> this week study to a class of fuck already right so in personal update um I have been <laughs> obsessing over Becca Syme and her strengths and uh when I say her strengths I mean she uh coaches on something called the Clifton strengths uh which is a test that you can do you can have done yourself it's about 50 dollars or 50 50 pounds if you're in the UK or wherever um and it will give you a list of your there are only 34 strengths and it will give you a list of your top 10. And I think I've talked about this before, like essentially rather than working on your weaknesses where you'll only get small gains, if you work on what are already your strengths, you will get, you will be able to 10x yourself. And like my strengths are competition, achiever, strategic learner and significance. Those are my top five. And the one that I struggled to grapple with the most was competition. Like I don't really see myself as competitive and I'm laughing now because uh one of my main tasks as a result of this course was to spot all the ways in which I'm competitive and apparently I'm really fucking competitive um and when I asked my wife if I was competitive she was she just sort of guffawed at me as if to say well of course you are you silly fool and um yeah so I've been learning all the ways in which I'm competitive and more importantly the ways in which I can get competition to work for myself so here is a couple of ways that that has happened. Basically, what I have noticed is, I don't know if you guys have read the Stephen Pressfield uh, War of Art. Um, 
But in there, he talks about a concept called resistance with a capital R. Basically, the the when you don't want to do stuff, you're you know it can, it can masquerade as writer's block when really it's just you being afraid of writing or not wanting to or resisting it because it's hard and you've reached the slushy middle or whatever. Anyway, once um, I notice these areas where I'm feeling resistance, uh, basically if I can turn it into a competition with myself, then I am much more likely to be able to uh, complete the thing that I don't want to complete. So for example, two of the tasks I have been putting off the entire year are upgrading my website and moving mailing list. So the way that I have um, encouraged myself to do these things is by turning it into a competition. So there is moaning me, who doesn't want to do the work, the hard thing, the techie thing, the thing I don't really enjoy. And then there's competitive me, who just wants to win and doesn't care what she's winning at, she just wants to win. So I, I pitted moaning me against competitive me. And guess what? Not only have I upgraded my website, I've almost completed the mailing list move as well. Now, the mailing list move wasn't quite as simple as just moving people from one mailing list to another. I've redone all my autoresponders and everything. But anyway, so suffice to say, um, I have found the Clifton Strengths extremely valuable and Becker's course extremely valuable because um, I have learned so much about myself and how to get more done and I'm going to be using the techniques uh, that's just like one of the things that I have discovered so yeah I'm going to be using these going forward to get myself to do all the shit I don't want to do <laughs> and I'm laughing because you know nobody wants to do the stuff they don't want to do but also I like running a business that has things to sell and you know has book launches and finishes jobs and you know, writes books. So yeah, yeah. I, if you guys are interested, uh, you can find more about her at the betterfasteracademy.com, I think it is. I am not an affiliate. I don't even think she has an affiliate scheme. I'm just a raving fan. So yeah. And in a uh, website and blah, blah, blah news, as a result of upgrading my website, I also finally added a shop, a store on my website. And so you can buy all of my digital books. Eventually, I'm going to have signed uh, print copies as well on there. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> Guess what I have to do? Set a competition. Oh, I'm like a child. Anyway, um, yeah, so right now you can buy all my digital books. You, There are links out to my course, there will be links out to other courses, you can get consultancy with me. And there are links out to um, my what else? Oh, yeah, my merch store where there's like team villains, uh, rebel author merchandise. So what I am doing is I'm putting a discount on all of the products that I sell directly. So that is all of my books and my consultancy and my course. I can't uh, put a discount on the merchandise because I don't know how to do that yet. Anyway, so I'm gonna give all listeners 15% off as a kind of launch Black Friday type uh, discount. So that the discount code that you need is rebel15 and I will put that in the show notes and I will put a link to my web store in the show notes as well. 
Rebel of the week this week is Kari Busiak. Kari says, it was grade 11. I had cut through the cafeteria and had my locker in sight when a teacher carrying her coffee meandered out of her office and walked directly into my path. I stopped to let her pass, but instead of getting out of the way, she stopped, turned and started yapping with someone behind her. I waited a minute, but then she didn't move, so I stepped out to go around her. At the exact moment, she began walking again, still talking to the person behind her. Because she wasn't watching where she was going, she smashed into me and spilt coffee down her blouse, as well as my jacket, for fuck's sake. Perfect start to my morning. I shook my head at her and walked the last few steps to my locker, yanked it open and hung up my wet coat. But a male teacher had seen what had happened. He came over, took my arm and steered me over to the female teacher. Apologise, you spilt coffee all over her shirt. It was her own fault she walked into me, I said. You're going to stand here until you apologise. Well, a lot of time was spent in the hallway that morning. I refused to apologise unless she apologised for walking into me and spilling my coffee on my coat as well. We stood at a stalemate until it became awkwardly apparent that that they needed to get uh, to classes just as much as I did. Finally, the female teacher apologised for bumping into me. My apology back? I'm sorry that you walked into me and spilt coffee on yourself. Then I walked my locker, closed it and left for class. Oh, I love this because, um, like, it's cheeky and also, like, you are entirely in the right as well. Like, if she did walk into you, like, what the hell was with that male teacher? You know, he can go fuck himself. Like, he clearly, she walked into you. And I'm glad that she apologised. And I do love the sass that we have as teenagers. Uh, I love a a sassy teenager. That's probably why I write young adult uh, fantasy. All right, if you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. Please do send in your stories because we are starting to get low again. Um, It can be any kind of rebellion and you can email your story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. One new patron this week, a huge thank you to Marcus E. Aiko, um, a.k.a. The Idiot on the Writer's Block. That's his YouTube channel, and he's trying to hit um, 100 subscribers, so do go and give him a follow. Go and check out his um, YouTube channel. There are certainly some familiar faces that you will recognise on his channel. Um, A huge thank you to all my old patrons and new patrons alike. You guys help to not only keep the podcast running, but give me a warm, squishy feeling in my belly. And if you'd like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, Hello Kitty, my cat's just jumped on the table, then you can do so from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. That's it this week. Uh, We will get on with the show in one quick uh, second. Just a very fast reminder that I think you may only have 24 hours when this goes out to get... um, your story bundle copy Uh, so if you remember that is 17 books and a course uh, and it was specifically for NaNoWriMo and there are craft books in there from all kinds of authors like Joanna Penn, myself, uh, Andrea Pearson, Christine Catherine Rush and lots more you can get that from storybundle forward slash uh, sorry storybundle.com forward slash nano. All right let's get nitty-gritty and start talking about how we can create a well-presented manuscript. Hello and welcome to the Ravel Author Podcast. This week I'm joined by Mike Reeves-McMillan. 
For someone with an English degree, Mike Reeves Macmillan has spent a surprising amount of time wearing a hard hat, since swapping an early career as an editor for roles in IT. He's a fantasy and science fiction author with three series and a number of short stories, some of which have appeared in pro venues such as Compelling Science Fiction, Cosmic Roots and Eldritch Stories. He also reviews numerous books each year. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks. Pleased to be here. How many books a year do you review? Oh, it varies. Uh, depends how busy I am and whether I'm listening to audiobooks on my commute or whether I have a commute, like this year I haven't, <laughs> really. Um, but it's somewhere in the region of between 60 and 100. Okay, so you're a reasonably fast reader then to get through that, that number of books. Yeah, audiobooks has helped me... Um, uh, like like read faster although I can only read non-fiction in audio I don't know why I've tried fiction and I just I can't uh, hold the story threads I have no idea why but yeah yeah I find that I prefer to read non-fiction as an audio book for some reason that holds my attention better yeah I think it's possibly because the easier thing to do is to keep listening. You'd, you'd actually have to take, make some effort to stop, whereas it's the other way around if you're reading text. Yeah. Ah. Okay, so tell everyone a little bit more about you and your writing journey and how you got to where you are today. Right. Well, my father was actually a sports writer as a side hustle. Um, he was a school teacher, but he wrote some fairly successful sporting books back in the 70s. So I knew from an early age that a writer was a thing that you could be. And I tried writing novels in my teens, which were awful. Um, I think we've all done that. (laughs) Yes. Um, I mean, I didn't know what a plot was, for one thing. But um, when self-publishing got going, I kind of saw an opportunity because... Um, appropriately for your podcast, I don't tend to uh, follow the the well-trodden path too much um, in terms of what I write. So um, it wasn't going to be easy to sell to a traditional publisher because they'd look at it and think, this isn't like anything we published last year. We're not going to take the risk. <laughs> um, so... Actually, at the dawn of self-publishing with POD, I wrote a book called City of Masks, which is, I describe it as, what if G.K. Chesterton and Alexandra Dumas wrote a serial killer mystery set in Shakespeare's Italy? Um, And, you know, how do you sell that? But, um, But people who read it like it. And... When the Kindle Revolution happened, I started writing more seriously because there was now a way for my books to to reach an audience, uh, however small. And so I started uh, the Griffin Clark series, which is about heroic civil servants, engineers and journalists, and even a lawyer uh, who are setting out to do the right thing amid technological and social change in a mage punk secondary world. Um, I also have a contemporary urban fantasy set in the city where I live, Auckland, New Zealand, Um, It was a nice change of pace because in a secondary world, you have to make everything up. 
uh, and you can't do pop culture references as easily. And with uh, contemporary urban fantasy, it's the other way around. Um, I can go out and strap a GoPro camera to my head and and do um, reference video in the city where I live. Uh, and in fact, I did that recently for the fourth book. Um, I've also got a, a sword and sorcery heist capers series called Hand of the Trickster. And I've just started a fourth series, um, the Institute Arcane, which is uh, a magical school, but it's not anything like Harry Potter. <laughs> um, it's another secondary world that's full of full of magic and social change. So um, that will be a a bit of fun. Talk to me about is did you say Madge Punk or Mage Punk? Mage Punk, yes. What is um, that? Well, it's kind of steampunk, but with more magic. Um, oh. and maybe a bit less steam in some cases. So um, lots of um, lots of wizards running around doing doing wizard things, and that kind of drives the technology, and uh, and and in my case drives some social change. I write fantasy science fictionally, is kind of the easiest way to put it. Okay. That I write a um, I write magic that's like technology. That's awesome. That is awesome. And also lots of social change, I see. So there must be like a, a burning undercurrent of, you know, justice under there. Yeah, it's something that um, I think that it's low hanging fruit that steampunk authors often miss because the real Victorian era was very full of social change and um, the, the roots of, of um votes for women and of course uh, emancipation the end of official slavery um, all of those kinds of things education for the poor and it's something that's not often dealt with in steampunk but I think it is a very important part of the Victorian era that um, that could stand to have more airtime. Mm. Okay, so we are here to talk about one of your nonfiction books. Um, so would you like to tell everyone just quickly a little bit about it before we dive into some questions that are more specific? Sure. Um, the book is called The Well-Presented Manuscript. Um, the subtitle is Just What You Need to Know to Make Your Fiction Look Professional. So the background to it is I was... Um, reviewing all of those books, reading a lot of books by uh, indie authors and a lot of books by traditional published authors. And in both of those kinds of books, I was finding the same errors over and over and over, the same basic copy editing issues. And what I started thinking was, well, maybe the reason that people make these errors all the time is that they don't know the conventions. Nobody's ever taught them properly and laid it out clearly and simply in a way that's accessible and in a way that's focused on um, the needs of a fiction author. Mm -hmm. I mean, the strunk and white, but it's really old and it's inconsistent and a lot of the advice is outdated um, and it's not that easy to follow. And it's not specific for fiction authors. This grammar girl, but she, she does wonderful stuff, but... Um, it's, again, not targeted specifically at fiction authors. 
So I sat down and, and wrote the book that, that I thought um, filled that gap. Absolutely. That's, that's how a lot of the best nonfiction books come around. I did the same with, with one of mine. Um, all right. So what are the most common mistakes writers make when trying to, you know, polish their manuscript, when they're trying to create a well-presented manuscript? Well, I'll give you, I'll give you two of the top five that are easy to explain. Um, the first one is Let's Eat Grandma, um, so-called after the, the most famous example. If you say, let's eat, comma, grandma, you're talking to grandma and you're suggesting dinner. If you say, let's eat grandma, no comma, you're suggesting cannibalism. <laughs> and although it's not always ambiguous, it's always the convention that uh, before your term of address at the end of a sentence, after your term of address at the beginning of a sentence or either side of your term of address if it's in the middle of a sentence, you need commas. And to me, that's one of the things that really separates a professional manuscript from a, from a less professional manuscript. And it's surprisingly common to see it uh, missed out. Um, the other thing that a lot of people get wrong, even though if you know the rule, it's comparatively straightforward is putting apostrophes in the right place, particularly around plurals. So the rule is what is owning the thing, then put the apostrophe. And then if you pronounce an extra S, put it after the apostrophe. So my parents' house, what is owning the thing? My parents put an apostrophe. Is there another S? There is not. I very frequently see that punctuated as my parent apostrophe S house, which is the house belonging to one parent, not two. So those are two of the very common ones. There are a few others which uh, I detail in the first chapter of the book uh, and also on the accompanying website, and I'll give you that for your show notes. Um, a lot of the material in the book is on the website. It was kind of a draft for the book, but um, the book expands on it considerably. Fantastic. And um, so what are the ways that writers can make their prose more powerful? I think the key thing is to think about what you're doing um, and know what you, know your tools, know what they do, know what the conventions are and what happens if you break them. Same as any other artistic endeavor. Um, if you're, if you're, um, a visual artist, you need to know something about perspective. You may decide that you're not going to use traditional perspective, but you need to know it. Um, if you're a musician, you need to know scales, chords, arpeggios. You may decide to play notes that are not in the scale, but it needs to be a decision. It needs to not be a mistake. And so I think writers can make their prose more powerful just by knowing the conventions, thinking about them, thinking about the tropes they're using, what they might mean, thinking about the language that they're using, what the effects are, thinking about even the literal meaning of the sentences that they write. I've seen some completely ridiculous sentences um, that it's, it's clear what they were trying to say usually but it's not what they said. 
And the other thing is to find the voice of your character and make it distinctive because within the conventions of writing, there is a lot of flex, there's a lot of play and different people speak differently. And one of the great things that you can do is, um, is to give your characters a distinctive voice and make your, make your prose very voicey and that will draw somebody into their world in a way that's uh, more plain, flat presentation won't. What, what do you personally do? Because I, I have a, an obsession with voice at the moment and I um, have been dropping books quite quickly where there isn't a strong enough voice. Like, you know, obviously yeah. every single book has a voice, but some books have a very, very clear voice and some books don't. <laughs> Yes. politely so um what you know what techniques do you personally use to find that voice like in your own writing examples for that would be Auckland Allies the my contemporary urban fantasy where I have multiple first person viewpoint characters because it's uh unlike most urban fantasy it's a um it's a group of protagonists rather than a single protagonist um and each of them gets a turn at being first person. And I needed to distinguish the voices. So um, part of what I did is I gave the, each of the main three uh, distinctive emotion that was characteristic of them. So Tara is angry, is her default. And Sparks is scared. He suffers from anxiety. Um, so if I'm not sure what they're feeling, that's that's what they're feeling. Um, the other thing that I did was Sparks is very slangy. He uses a lot of New Zealand slang. He's he's a bloke. Um, he's an engineer, and he he talks like a Kiwi engineer. Um, I've worked with a number of Kiwi engineers. I know how they talk, and. Um, Tara, as part of her angry persona, she uses very short sentences. And Sally, the third of the of the main trio, uh, tends to use long sentences and, and a bit more of a high-flying vocabulary. So one trick that I use to find voice or to, to, to distinguish voice is when I'm writing somebody's voice, I don't always choose the first phrasing that I think of. Mm. Um, so the first phrasing that I think of is how my voice would say it, mm. but their voice is going to say it in a different way. And so I think about how else can I phrase this? I love that. And I love how tangible uh, those tips are as well. So yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I'm having a, a whale of a time with uh, one of my, uh, I'm draft. <sighs> oh, I'm doing the thing that you shouldn't do, which is to write multiple books at the same time. But one particular mm. book that I'm working on uh, is, is um, very voicey and um, has a very clear London uh, sort of not, not, as London as a Cockney slang accent, but, you know, very London, very sort of lower socioeconomic, uh, you know, 
sort of status and it it, it's because and also has a very clear set of emotions around like what they're feeling and that has helped so much to create such a distinctive voice you know especially when you can then add those emotions and you know like other characters are from different parts of the UK and so it just it just makes it that much easier when you have uh, very clear distinctions between them so yeah I love that Okay, um, what one of the one of the ways I think you can you know very quickly improve your prose is to choose um, better verbs. So what um, like what is the difference between strong and weak verbs, and how can writers tell the difference in their own work? I assume you're not talking about German grammar, which is where strong and weak verbs is. That's the usual use of that phrase. Um, so you're talking about strong verbs being specific and uh, an active and uh, someone or something is doing something mm. versus a weak verb where a person or a thing is being or yeah, is just, you know when they're vague and just vague yeah, yeah. Um, it's the same as the as the commonly um, given advice about adjectives where instead of an adjective try to um, uh, sorry adverbs yeah. Instead of an adverb, look for a more specific verb. Mm -hmm. He walked quickly. Uh, he he hustled. Um, that kind of advice. So one thing to watch for if you're going for more specific vocabulary like that. Uh, well, two things to watch for. One, does it fit the voice of your character? If you're if you're in the character voice and there's somebody who maybe doesn't have much education, are they going to use um, a generic word or a specific word? If you go too far towards the lots of vocabulary, you may lose the voice. The other thing is that a lot of people have a smaller vocabulary than they think they do, and they use words that don't actually mean what they think they mean. Um, they have the Inigo Montoya effect. Um, so if you do start using vocabulary words to make your prose uh, more vivid and more specific, that's good, but check that they mean what you think they mean. And so what is your personal punctuation bugbear? Because obviously you've written a book, um, you know, of common sort of uh, grammatical punctuation, uh, like errors and things. So you must have a personal hate, pet hate. Well, it's a tough choice, really. Um, <laughs> you can have more than one, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the ones that I've mentioned already, obviously, uh, the the comma around the term of address and the um, putting the apostrophe in the right place. But there's another one that I see fairly frequently, which is when somebody's using a list of adjectives uh, before a noun. And there's a slightly subtle rule around that, which is that you put commas between the adjectives unless one of the adjectives is stuck quite firmly to the noun. So, uh, for example, a large stone building. Stone building is actually stuck together quite firmly. You wouldn't say a stone large building. And so you don't put the comma in between. Um, but I see people over commering 
their lists of adjectives um, using using the adjective adjective noun pattern a lot and always putting the commas whether they whether they fit the rule or not and sometimes even doing it with uh, numbers which technically are adjectives so they they say one comma single problem which um, you, you don't you wouldn't actually put the comma there if you're following the convention properly. So that's something that bugs me if I see it a lot. If I mm. see it occasionally, not too worried. But I've read books where it's all the time, practically every page, they're putting more commas than they need to, uh, which is just as bad as putting not enough. So, okay, and that is a great segue because I was just about to ask you about commas. Is there anything else you wish writers would do to improve their comma usage? Well, commas are hard. I mean, writing is hard if anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to sell something, but um, you can improve your comma usage by understanding a bit better how a sentence fits together. And one of the things that I do in the book is that I go through some, sen some basic sentence structures, uh, ways of fitting a sentence together and talk about why you would use or not use a comma in those situations. Because a lot of people, and I include myself, have picked up comma usage by reading. And if you read a lot, and if you read a lot of good books, and if you're, if you're good at learning that way, then your comma usage can be quite good without you understanding the rules. But if you read a lot of bad books or you don't read much or that's not um, a way in which you learn well, then um, picking it up by osmosis can leave you with quite bad comma usage. And you probably need to take a step back and actually learn how commas work rather than just putting them in at random. Um, I, I'm thinking of a of a non-fiction book that had quite good content, um, a book about writing, not yours, <laughs> uh, which the, the author obviously had no idea about punctuation in general, just no idea. Had it not been edited? And would, and, and would just throw some punctuation mark in occasionally on pretty much a Jackson Pollock principle. And uh, <laughs> it was a real chore to read. And yes, apparently had not had a copy editor or had, had not had a good one at least. Yeah, I, so I'm one of those. I, I read prolifically and sort of around the same kind of number of books as you, as you do every year. But I, um, I have always had an issue with commas. And so I pay handsomely to very good editors <laughs> because I've just never managed to. I mean, I am considerably better than I was, um, you know when you write all day every day you do naturally get better but um yeah no I, I I even joke about it in some of my books but you know I definitely pay very good editors to, to sort out my commas um so perhaps I'm going to slide your book very 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 rapidly up my TBR so I can 
learn more about commas. Um, okay, so any final tips or tricks that you can give to help writers improve their presentation? I guess to um, really to reiterate the point I've made already is learn the basic conventions. Uh, they are conventions, they're not laws of the universe. But if you know the conventions and demonstrate that you know the conventions, you look more professional. And that's important whether you're selling indie books to a um, to a, an audience that gets them fairly directly or whether you're sh shopping manuscripts out to um, agents and editors or whether you're selling short stories. Um, it's not to say that people who have terrible usage can't get published. Obviously, they can. I've read books from major publishing houses that were absolutely awful. Um, but it does improve your, your um, chances. If somebody gets two manuscripts and one of them is a complete mess and the other one is nice and clean, all else being equal, I'll go for the clean one. The the one the one area where that advice doesn't apply, or the one group of people for whom it doesn't apply, is and I I assume your listeners don't fall into this category, but um, if you're not setting out to achieve art or craft, if you're just pumping out as much extruded fiction product as you can manage to type. Um, and your fans neither know nor care whether you're getting the punctuation right or whether you're using words correctly, then uh, go ahead with your good self. Just just do it as fast as you can. Don't slow down and don't worry about any of this because your fans don't care. But if you're serious about looking professional, um, then uh, it, there are some basics that will improve your manuscript. And I would say that 70% of the books that I read make one of about five mistakes. And if you can learn not to make those five mistakes, your, your manuscript is probably going to be better than 70% of the other ones that are out there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think there's only one caveat that I would give and I know a lot of my listeners um are perfectionists and sometimes they you know I know for me too it was very hard to just let go of my first book and sometimes you have to just let go and it's okay that your first book is going to be your worst book because you know you you will continue to learn and well hopefully you're all going to continue to learn and to read and to improve with each successive book um you know but but sometimes that perfectionism can overtake and then you never end up publishing or you, you take 12 years to publish a book you know it's really it is incredibly important that you pay professional editors as well as trying to learn uh, to self-edit better um but also you do still have to let go at some point you know you because you can only get better by writing different you know more books um different books more books you know trying different genres and things you will that is you know the you can't just edit the same book forever um 
Yeah. And I know some people suffer a little bit with that worry that they're going to do something wrong and, you know, it's okay. You know, all of our first books were shit. (laughs) Let's be honest. Um, We've also got those teenage books that will stay very tightly locked in cabinets and cupboards. Um, But yes, just, you know, try your best and make an effort to learn. Um, Mm. You know, I know I joke about my common usage, but I do actually, you know, I've got a number of books that I've read about um, all of these like you know craft things to improve like that's why I read and write craft stuff but anyway right we are both in the um nano uh, remo uh, story bundle which was curated by uh, kevin j anderson would you like to tell everyone a little bit about it and where they can get a copy sure that that actually fits really well with what you've just been saying because um perfect is the enemy of done and sometimes you just need to push on and finish a thing and not worry too much about how good or how bad it is just to have finished because the experience of finishing something is an important experience for you to have. And uh, it's a way of breaking out of that cycle of it must be better, it must be better, it must be better. Because as you say, how you get better is you do more. You, mm. you write more books. Um, so NaNoWriMo or NaNoWriMo, I'm not sure how, how it's pronounced, um, is a good way for some people to do that. Um, I've never actually managed to do it myself because typically November is, is a busy month for me. Um, it's leading up to Christmas, New Year, which in the Southern Hemisphere, um, New Zealand shuts down and everyone goes to the beach. So we're trying to finish up um, all of our work in November. But um, if you are able to uh, to do nano, or even if you just want to, uh, to get a bunch of good craft books, then the, um, the story bundle that we're in which you can get at storybundle.com slash nano um, is a good way to help you with that. And you can read the books before you, before you do the, the sprint or you can read them after. Uh, reading them during may be counterproductive uh, to, up to a point. But um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of books for not very much money and um, worth checking out. Amazing. Just before, excuse me, I ask you the very last uh, question. I have to say one of my most amusing parts of this conversation has been your cat who has joined us for the entire duration of this conversation. And I'm now very sad that uh, Lady Grimm has not appeared so that we could have, you know, a a mutual cat interview. (laughs) What's your cat called? (laughs) Dot. Dot. Oh, yeah, she's so called Dot because, well, it's a it's it's a complicated story. It was, it's connected to her brother being cowardly, so he was the <laughs> cowardly lion, and so she became Dorothy, and then Dot, and uh, yeah. Aww. So, so they're now Dot and Dash. <laughs> love it. I love it. Okay, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. Can you tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel? Well, honestly, um, 
just the fact that I write the books that I want to write rather than thinking too much about um, whether they're going to be a wild commercial success. Um, that's my act of rebellion. And um, again, I think it's, um, it's something that a lot of indie authors leave on the table that they're pursuing um, success in commercial terms, which is really hard to achieve. And not very many people achieve that, but you can achieve success in terms of you write a book that you like, that you'd want to read and that other people want to read, even if it's not a copy of the latest bestseller, uh, even if it doesn't follow 100% of the tropes of the genre. Um, I tend to refer to those in my reviews as made from box mix uh, because I'm a scratch baker and I'm a, I'm a snob about it. And um, yes, yeah, so that, I mean, that can be great training wheels writing something that is essentially fan fiction uh, or actually fan fiction can be great training wheels for writing your own stuff. But I really encourage people, write your own stuff. Write what excites you. Write the books that don't exist that you wish did exist, not the books that do exist that you wish you'd written. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, especially if you're going to be an indie, because that is the point. You know, there is so much freedom, so much we can we can do whatever the fuck we like, basically. So why not capitalize on that ability, um, you know, and, 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 and write, you know, the, the story with the controversial ending or the story that doesn't quite match the traits. Like, absolutely, I, I, I love that. Because also, I, you know, if you are writing the story that you love, then you're far, far more likely to make it a better story because you're more invested, you're more passionate, um, and it will be more you probably as well. Um, and that in turn makes it more voicey and more better, more better. Excellent English. Well done, Sasha. It's very late <laughs> at night. Um, it makes it better. Um, yeah. So yeah, go and go and write the stories that are in your heart. Okay, thank you so much for your time today. Where can listeners find out more about you and your books? And I don't know if you have like a YouTube or podcast or anything. Yeah, when can, where can people find out about you? Goodreads is the best place. I'm not on social media as such anymore. I find it a toxic swamp. So um, Goodreads is, is where I post my reviews. Um, you can ask me author questions. All my books are on there, obviously. There are links to my blog, to my Amazon author page. Um, so feel free to follow me. Um, I probably won't friend you back if I don't know you. But um, yeah, the, the, um, I'm reasonably easy to find there because there's only one Mike Reeves Macmillan. It's, uh, it's the nice thing about being hyphenated. Um, and the other best place is I've just rejigged my mailing list and I'm about to start a monthly-ish newsletter with some behind-the-scenes kind of stuff, maybe some personal stuff, what I'm working on and books that I've read and want to recommend. So um, 
you can find that from my website, which is linked off Goodreads. Perfect. And I'll and send I, you, Sasha, a, a link to use in the show notes as well. Perfect. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And Oh, good. And um, of course, as always, a huge thank you to all of uh, everybody listening and also to the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And as always, that's Sasha with a C and not an S. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Mike Reeves McMillan. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'll be talking to Michael Laron and we'll be talking about self-publishing basics. So make sure you check in next week to hear that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. (music) 